Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Last time I preached here was uh, in 2011. I brought my son here for his birthday, and he said, Dad, I've just got to go to Jerry's farm. And so he loved it there. And we were taking communion when you were at the Rock, and uh, I... Yeah, the Purple Church, and I'd preached. I was preaching, and we were doing communion beforehand, and I got this little communion thing that, you're right, he, that guy does need salvation. And, and Dave leaned over to me. He was in the front, and he just mouthed to me. He said, only in America. And I, well, Dave, we have it at Valley Church in Cape Town. <laughs> and it's worse. <laughs> we just kind of do this to the wine and taste it, because otherwise you have to go for some detox. It's a... It's, uh, I've, I've tried to speak to the, to, because it's, it's, you know, it's two crows, what's the chemical they put in it? it, it it's just, anyway, I've told, I've told, just use grape juice, it's much better. Anyway, it's a privilege to share with you today, and I know I've got my time limited, I've got 35 minutes, I've heard, to, all the anointing was happening in that time. Um, so I'd like to speak to you a little bit from John chapter 15, we all know John chapter 15, it's the vine and the branches, I want to share some thoughts, but do you know where John chapter 15 fits in? Well, let's give a bit of context. First of all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many of these four were Jesus' disciples? Okay, only two. Matthew and John. So Mark and Luke weren't disciples of Jesus. They recorded through others and gave us the other two gospels. And John was part of the inner circle of, um, of uh, my mind's gone black, James, Peter and John, sorry. I was preparing in my mind. I thought I mustn't get it wrong, but I did. Um, so that was the inner circle. So it's, and, and John writes his gospel with a different camber, a, candor, a different way of putting it in. Um, and so what I love about this is the way he captures it is he was there. Now, John 15 and 16, if you understand how John is kind of put, put together, is 15 and 16 is the farewell message of Jesus to his disciples. 17 is the prayer that he prays that to the Father for the disciples and for us to be one as he is one and, and the prayer of Jesus. And then 18 onwards is the crucifixion. So we've got to think that Jesus and the Father must have been talking quite a lot in his times with, with his dad about what he was going to say to his disciples and his followers as a farewell. Now, if you knew you were, you were leaving the planet, you were going to go through an, a suffering of note, you were going to die, and you weren't coming back. You wouldn't be talking about football. You'd be talking about something that was really important. And I've kind of run through my mind and thought, if I was unfortunately given that news for my life, and I had my family and friends around me, what would I actually say? And it's very tough for me to think of what I would say. But Jesus used a very simple example. Part of the agrarian or the agricultural world that they lived in is olives and vines and and, and farming. So we, Jesus used so many, the, the ear of corn, because that's what they lived with. It wasn't a technological age. It was the, the age of, 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 of agriculture. And so the disciples would have maybe that very day have walked past a vine or, or, or touched a vine or maybe even stolen a grape from one of the farmers' vineyards and blessed it as they did. Um, and so he then takes the story of in John 15 as his farewell. So 
I can think that for John, it must have been very emotional when after Jesus has died and, and John was penning his reflections that the Holy Spirit was leading him to pen. I wonder if a tear didn't run down his cheek when he thought, these, these are the wor last words, the, the person who loved me the most actually said to us, I must memorize them. I must go back and put every word into, into my head because this was saying goodbye. Um, and those are special moments. So this, as we read, is not just, oh, Jesus is talking about the vine. This is a very, very poignant part of his life that he wanted to share with the disciples. So what I want to do today is just read a scripture to you, and then I'd like to share a bit of a story of my own life as to how this is so special to me. And then I'd like to just put three lessons, and then I'll land the plane. <laughs> so let's read from John 15, uh, just verse 1. It says, I am, the, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are really clean through the words that I have spoken to you. So abide in me, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. Now, there are two things happening as Jesus is speaking. One is a word of immense reassurance. And if you need assurance today of God's love for you, God's care for you in the midst of what you're going through, then this is something we need to talk about today because this is how we are in the vine. But the second part he says, which is a command, is go and bear much fruit. So we're not just to be happy, clappy, and be all happy, but we're to get out there and bear much fruit. So part of my story is where, I, where, where this really ministered to me was I... Uh, I have a joke with Ingrid because I say I can't find a Christian in my family since the time of John the Baptist. And I can't, I can't find a person who wasn't a Christian in Ingrid's family since the time of John the Baptist. So, so when, when, when Ingrid's family and my family came together, it was like a cold front and a warm front. And it was, it, I, I got the best end because I got the best in-laws in the whole world. And unfortunately, Ingrid got the worst. So it was tough for her. And so I grew up in this home where there was nothing Christian anywhere. I, my mom said she was an Anglican and my dad said he was Presbyterian. And I went through a Presbyterian um, uh, little uh, church in a town called Camps Bay, which is down on the coast in Cape Town. And that was like all I knew. But the Holy Spirit had other ideas. And over a period of time in my youth, God began knocking on the door of my heart. And you'll probably find that if you kind of realize that when you didn't know Christ, it was zero and you didn't know Christ, it was 10. God kind of took you from one to two to three, and you didn't just have it all on one day. And so I tracked back all the little spaces where God was knocking on the door of my heart. And thankfully, by 14, I was able to kind of put my hand up and say, Lord, I'm good to go. And at that point, I was at school, and I was radical in my faith. And so I just went 100%. I didn't know what else to do. Um, without, without exaggerating, I was attending about 14 Christian meetings a week school, church. My parents didn't know me, didn't know where I was. I was this kind of anomaly that was walking around floating with the Holy Spirit. They'd pull me down to the ground and have a chat to me. I landed up at the age of 14, 15, 16. We used to go out and remember the good old days we used to sing. We had a pastor, had a ukulele. We used to play and we used to sing all the little Elam choruses. And if you remember the Elam chorus book, you know, in my heart, there rings a melody. We used to sing all those kind of songs. And these people look at us, and, and we'd hand out all the tracts. Remember the track, chick tracts? We had all these kind of tracts we'd hand out. And we'd go to these shopping centers, and I'd do this. And one day, my pastor, I was probably the Assemblies of God at the time, he, I was handing out the tracts, looking oh so confident. And 
I don't know what happened. He kind of reached out and grabbed me by the neck and he pulled me into the center of the circle. And he said, and it was like a double story shopping mall. And he said, this young man gave his heart to Jesus and he's gonna tell you now how he did it. <laughs> and I stood there and I went like, and I launched, I have no idea what I said and, and I don't think anyone came to Jesus as a result of what I said. <laughs> and so I, just, I just, just went full out. And so here I was, kind of giving God my all, but I was living two lives because the one side of me was everything for Jesus. The other side was a broken soul. And part of the broken soul inside of me was that I didn't know what a father was. So my, my dad, my brother and I agree with this. He's six years younger than I am. My, bro, my brother and I agree that my dad was 100% present, but fully absent. So he lived in our house and he was with us, but I didn't know what a father was. So when, when, we used to, when I joined YWAM or when I was singing at the church, we sang, Father God, you know, I give all thanks and praise to whatever. I looked up and I just kind of saw a blank. I didn't kind of have a picture of any. I didn't have an abusive father. I just had an absent father, which I actually think was quite abusive. But anyway, I kind of saw nothingness. So I was like worshiping like this nothing. And I was trying to figure out who I was actually talking to. And when I joined YWAM in 1979 as a young student, um, boy, the Holy Spirit kind of got hold of me in a very big way. And they preached a lot on the father heart of God. And there was a gentleman called Floyd McClung, who has since passed away. And Floyd was a dear, dear friend of ours. And uh, he wrote this book that's translated into many, many languages. And we still keep in touch with his wife. And his wife, believe it or not, lives in Komiki down the road from us. So it's about 10 minute drive. Sally is still alive and struggling a third bout of cancer. So you can say a prayer for her. And so God began to speak to me about the fact that he was a father. And when I kind of thought about this. I was a very insecure Christian because I was doing all this. I was doing all this stuff for Jesus, but I was not being a son because I didn't know what a son was, and I wasn't quite sure that he really liked me or loved me. So it, I was always trying to reach out to him to say, like, you know, my name's Marie. Remember me? And hi, hi, I'm doing stuff. And I was, but I wasn't anchored. Do, do, can you identify that feeling? And sometimes as Christians, that's a deep problem because we kind of serving God and doing all the stuff for God. But our anchor point to know that we know that in any storm at any time, we are anchored. Sometimes that, that either we, we don't know that or some of the storms pull some of those anchors up. And then when you come out of that storm, you say to yourself, I'm doubting whether God will show up again because of what happened. And we've all, we've all got a what happened moment. We've got one of those stories we could all share in circles here about a moment where God did not show up where the pain was too much to bear, where our anchor came loose. And the enemy, of course, tells you that anchor will never go back, right? And so I was living in that world all the time. I, I just had nervous energy in me the whole time. And so the Lord brought me in contact with uh, the books of a gentleman who lived in the 1800s called Andrew Murray. Now, Andrew Murray was a pastor that lived in South Africa and was credited with the only, facilitating the only true revival that ever happened in South Africa, in terms of being like almost a national revival. And in fact, even his father was involved with it. And amazing stories. And he wrote two books. One was called Abiding in Christ, and the other one was um, called Waiting on God. And Abiding in Christ was a 31-page uh, devotional or set devotional of the, being in the vine. And I got hold of this book, and I began reading it. And I would just go out, and, and our YWAM base was in the middle of nowhere, north of a place called Pretoria. 
And I would go out into the bush and these flies would always be here. I was swatting flies, but like I was an Australian. And uh, I'd be sitting out there and I sat on a little bench on an old little disused soccer field. There was no one around me. And I'd kind of sit on this little bench and I'd put my notebook in one on the side and my pen in my hand and I'd keep my little book and I've still got that book and I've scratched the pages through with highlighters and everything. And I'd sit there and I would just weep as God reminded me that I was in the vine. And slowly but surely, the father and I became friends. And we kind of connected with each other. And then the Lord challenged me and he said, Mary, the way I'm going to test this, can you have faith in the midst of, or can you only have faith apart from? See, when we're apart from a trial, you don't need a lot of faith because it's over, right? You had no money, then you get your money, now you've got peace. Well, that wasn't very hard. <laughs> when you're in the midst of, can we find peace in the midst of? And that's been one of my deepest challenges in my life is, can I have peace in the midst of? So there's my story. Let's go to three points from here. So number one, the first point is that Jesus is the vine, and we need to see that he establishes us. Secondly, we must accept it and abide. And third, we bear much fruit. So just the first point, there's very few slides. Ingrid has a theory on, um, on, on PowerPoint. The theory is don't use it. And, uh, and, 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 and the way she says it is that when I put slides up with lots of information, because I love understanding the historical context and the Hebrew and the Greek, all this kind of stuff, she says, people don't look at you, they just keep looking at these slides full of information. So you can put the next one up and then you can stop. Um, so... We need, we need to understand, why don't you stick the next slide up? The next one. Just wonder what follows this one. There, um, sorry, one back. There we go. So Jesus is the vine, and he instantly grafts us, grafts us into all that he is the moment we receive him in our lives. Now, why am I saying this? Because I don't think as Christians we fully understand that the second you invite Christ into your life, you join the A-team. Remember the A-team? Well, the A-team of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and every angel is yours the second you came to Christ. You don't have to work your way into it. You've got it. It's like if your dad's a billionaire and he dies, and he says, here you have the will, and it's all yours. How long does it take to become a billionaire like your dad was? Instant. Now, the gifts and the power and the the entitlement as Christians that we have, it is instant when we come to Christ. And we've got to like a sink into that. It's not like when we're good, God will kind of show up and he'll kind of do stuff for us and then we'll slowly kind of get permission to become. That isn't the deal of heaven. If you understand how salvation works, the moment of salvation is a very powerful time. The angels in heaven rejoiced when you became a Christian. That's how important this was. They all, you know, when they ring the bell, you know, a bell rang, Mary got saved. You know, <laughs> everyone kind of stopped for a moment. And, Whoa, Mary's saved. Did you give him the title deed? Did you give him his stuff? He gets the package. He's, let him have it. The problem wasn't that. The problem was me. I didn't accept it. The deal was given to me and I went, I'm not good enough. And the enemy lied to me and I didn't know who God was. And so I had to kind of recalibrate who I was, but it was already there. And it is a wonderful thing to understand that he, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each have different roles in your life. They, they do different things. They are one, but they do different things for you. And we have access to this 24-7. 
And so when God reaches down and holds your hands and says, Murray, I'm yours, it reminds me of the story of the little boy who went down to the sea with his dad and the waves were breaking and he's holding onto his dad's hands and he's going, I'm going to get swept out in the ocean. I'm going to swept. And his dad leaned down to him and he said, do you think you're holding my hand? <laughs> I'm holding your hand. <laughs> you're weak. <laughs> you're going to let go at any time. But when I clasp my hand around your hand, no one's going to pluck you away. No one's going to pluck you out of my hands. And so the enemy is really sneaky because he wants you to not, not to believe that you got this package. He doesn't want you to believe in being a son and a daughter of God. And so when we're going through tough times, we kind of think we've got limited access because of the day we've had. That, that isn't how heaven works. When heaven looks down at you and they see you here in Flagler Beach right now, I mean, they've just got so many thoughts and dreams and plans and everything, and they know you and understand you. You just got to go like, hey, it's me. And they go, well, of course we know you. From the foundations of the earth, we have known you, and we have planned your life, and we've put you together. And so if there's thoughts in your mind, we were told to touch our minds if we felt we needed to do some work. The mind is the battlefield. Yeah. We did a session with the, with the team yesterday about our minds, right? And if you allow these saboteurs, the sabotage thinking to come into your brain, the chances are what I'm telling you right now is, is diluted. And we've got to do a reset sometimes. And maybe even after this, when you have a quiet time, just go back to God and say to God, I just got to double check what was in my package. What did I get? I got the Father, His love, His kindness, His goodness. I got the Holy Spirit, His leading, His guiding. I got Jesus, His redemption, His healing, everything. I mean, and, and then we've got a bunch of angels. I wish we could see the angels in this room right now because there's a whole bunch of them. We don't talk to angels. We don't do, they don't have their role with us, but they're here and they do His bidding. So we're on a serious A team. So the first point is we are instantly grafted into the vine. The second point is you have got to know how to abide in Christ in all circumstances. That's the test. You know, we had a YWAM base out in the country from Cape Town, a place called Worcester, which is very well known as for wine, for wine making. And our YWAM base was right on uh, one of these wine farms. And I used to walk out there when I used to go and minister there or work with leadership. And you walk out amongst the vines. I don't know if you've been to many vines lately, but vine's an interesting thing because this vine is this gnarly kind of kind of thing that comes up of the grain. In fact, we use it for barbecue wood in South Africa because it, it just it just burns so well. Um, and you get this vine which can kind of withstand anything. In fact, it was quite interesting that um, during the persecution in in France, the the Huguenots came out to South Africa to flee persecution. They went to many countries, but they came here. And many of them brought some of the wine stock with them. And those vines were planted in the 1700s in a place called Franschhoek. And those vines are still there today. Amazing. These things just go on and on and on because Jesus is the vine and I'm a branch. Now, here's an interesting thing. You get this beautiful gnarly vine. And this branch is kind of scary because branches are like these little tiny little tubes attached to this vine. They're not like big, thick branches. They're like small little things. And they hang down, and then off that comes the fruit, right? And I thought to myself, Lord, how much, how much does a vine need to hang on to this a branch, hang on to this vine? Because in my mind, it'll just snap off. Now, we get some very hectic storms in Cape Town sometimes, and in Worcester, they get big storms. And you can go out into the vineyard after the storms. There's hardly a branch on the ground. 
And I went and looked at this attachment and Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branch. The sap of the vine goes straight into the branch so that it can bear much fruit. So the life-giving sap of Jesus Christ being the vine doesn't just stay there. He shares it with you. And that attachment, although it feels so weak and vulnerable, it is utterly seamless because that strength of the vine and the branch is there. And you might feel the winds blow and your little sneaky little branch goes all over the place and you're kind of flying in the wind. And, and, but the way God put vines and branches together was amazing in, in the nature because otherwise branches would just snap off all the time. We'd never get wine, right? So the whole point is that this has to be very secure. But I feel when, I, when I've got a branch and a vine, I kind of, God's got the better deal. He's big and strong and gnarly and he's got all the stuff. And I'm just a little piddly little thing that just kind of hangs on. But you got to know that Jesus said that's who we are. And you might feel vulnerable and small today. You might feel insignificant. But if you're grafted into the vine, into Jesus Christ, you're there. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> he's holding you together. And again, a message of assurance. Not only are we instantly brought into the family, but we also have been given this incredible connection to God and the life-giving blood, the life-giving sap goes through into the branch. But it doesn't go to the branch so the branch can just be happy and merry. It goes to the branch that it can bear much fruit, which takes us to our third part. And that is, if we accept that we abide, and let me tell you something, I don't bear fruit when I don't abide. If you wanna see the, the dark side of Murray, he's not abiding in Christ in that moment. He's being sabotaged in his thinking. I'm insecure, I'm fearful, I'm angry, I'm irritated. I'm a lot of things. Ingrid, don't keep nodding your head. Um, um, I can tell you what, at that point, this person is not abiding. So abiding is an art. You have to learn to practice abiding. So when I get into situations, Ingrid and I recently had a situation where we've Got a number of investments, so one of the, in the investments kind of went through a really wobbly time. It still is in a very wobbly time, and it, it involves, unfortunately, quite a lot of our money. And we got a phone call to tell us that this money had been taken out of our account for, because of our, our financial broker. There were some questions. We're still in the middle of putting it, figuring it together. And Ingrid and I looked at our pension and looked at where we're going into the future, and she said to me, do you know what this could be at, in a worst-case scenario? And I took a look at this, and it's, and it's stuff we've been working on. I'm 63, going for 65, so going like, oh, this could be like the, the beginning of a wonderful time of our lives or not. And right then, and Ingrid will tell you, I just went into abiding. And I just snuck into the Lord, and I said to the Lord, you know what? Two things have always been yours of mine, two things. What is on loan to me is the work I do for you. It is completely yours. You can change direction. You can take it. You can bless it. You can anything. I have no dibs on what I do for God. And the second is my money. Uh, we were missionaries 18 years for me, six, uh, 14 years for Ingrid. And the interesting thing was that we never earned a salary in all those years. So when I, I worked out there, when I left YOM in 1997, I had a policy in today's money worth two and a half dollars. That's how I left YOM with two and a half dollars in my pocket. That was all I, that's all it was worth, basically. And now, we had to go and trust the Lord and grow a business <laughs> and do all this kind of stuff. And the Lord said to me, Mary, I will always take care of that. So give it to me. 
So at that point, I had to come to rest. In the midst of, that's a pretty big storm, right? In the midst of, I had to lean in and say to the Lord, I'm now going to abide. Well, since then, I have a grace to deal with it. I, I, you know, I'm, not always, I'm not always very gracious, but I've got grace to deal. I think it says to me, what's wrong with you? Why are you taking this so easily? I said, I'm not taking it easy. I, I, I've, I've snuck into the Lord, and I kind of said to the Lord, we're going to work on this one, but we, we, you're okay with this? And he went like, we'll work on this one. And I went, the vine and the branch. I snuck in and I held tight. Now, can I bear much fruit to those people that want to ask questions or to my broker? Instead of fighting and saying, you know, what have you done? I can now bear fruit by ministering love to him and acceptance and praying for him and helping him through the time he's going through with all of this. Now I'm bearing fruit, right? But if I wasn't abiding, what kind of fruit would I have borne? Bitter fruit. So we bear fruit. It's just not the fruit of the vine. <laughs> it's not the fruit of Jesus, right? We bear fruit. So it looks like when we abide, the fruit is sweet. When we're not abiding, people go, Bleh. Not good to taste, all right? And unfortunately, I wish we were also pure and wonderful and holy, but we're not. So we have a lot of really, poor, we have good and bad fruit. You know, people, like, like your grapes here, I mean, I, I, I'm going to take 10 kilograms of grapes home with me. I mean, these grapes are amazing. I bought some of your blueberries. You know, when you eat a lemon, you know, that's how I was doing with the blueberries. So one is a really good fruit, and one is a bitter fruit, and I know the difference. And some people, when they taste of Murray, they get that lovely fruit. I just get that bitter fruit, and it's not really good. So we're doing all of this because of the Great Commission. So it's good to be blessed, and now we're in the vine, and assured, and the Father loves us, and lovely branch, and we're hooked in, and we're not going to fall off, and all the rest. But that's only half the story. The rest of the story is Jesus said, bear much fruit. In fact, he said, even those parts of our lives that don't bear fruit, he cuts off and he prunes because he doesn't think they're really good enough and he's got to kind of start again. Ever been through that pruning where you thought you're doing okay in an area and then the Lord said, you can't, agree, you can't go to grade six until you've passed grade five and you stay in grade five for three years. So, <laughs> so I was looking at how we bear fruit in our life. Now you are all rooted into some part of the world around you with a job, with a family, with something that you're doing where God has asked you to be. We, we all have purpose. If you don't have purpose, we can pray for you because purpose is the privilege, part of that package you got when you got saved. One of them was purpose. There are a lot of purposeless people walking around the streets of Flagler and of Palm Coast and of Cape Town. And I work with a lot of people who are, who are in business who think purpose is money. And until they realize that that's not where purpose is. So we have got to really be able to bear much fruit. So what our purpose is, is where we are planted by God, where we bear fruit is, look at the people around you that God has given. Some of them you're asking God to take away from you, I know. But <laughs> that's how God makes you just like himself. <laughs> you prayed for patience, it's your fault. Um, so where you are rooted, where you are, look around you in your little community of people. And ask yourself, with him, am I bearing much fruit? With her, am I bearing much fruit? And if they are a Christian, am I bringing them one step closer to Christ? If they're not, am I bringing them one step closer to Christ? You know, if you go nine to 10 and lead someone to Jesus, that's wonderful. But the hard work was done long before that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember working with a Muslim guy, part of a concrete company. And he, he came one of my clients. And I went to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with this guy? 
you know, I know what I've got to do in the business world, but how do I work with him to bring him to Christ? Because he doesn't believe in Christ the way I do. And the Lord said to me, Mary, on a scale of one to 10, he's at a four. No Bibles, no scriptures, no blood of Jesus, none of that. I want you to show him unconditional love and show him kindness. And when you're done with him, I'm going to bring someone into his life to take him from five to six and move him on. So don't mess it up, Mary, by being brave, okay? I had to be led by the Spirit. So the fruit I had to manufacture for him was the fruit of kindness, the fruit of unconditional love, not the fruit of whacking him with the gospel, but I hope someone has already because it's a long time ago. So I hope he got down to nine and someone else will go. And when he comes to heaven, I'm gonna be in the little group that welcomes him and say, I was your number four to five, remember me. (laughs) But I had to learn to bear fruit in that guy's life who didn't believe what we believe and somehow make an entrance point of light into darkness. And then when I was done, he worked with me for about two years. The Lord said, okay, leave. Don't overstay your welcome. I've got someone else coming in to grab him on the other side and they'll continue with this journey that he's coming to me on. I went, privilege, thank you very much, I'm done. So I hope there I bore much fruit. So in the world that you're in, there's a lot of fruit. Fruit can be with your kids. Oh, that's a tough one. I won't go there for long. Um, you know, sometimes it's really tough, you know. We have, we have a, a daughter of 24, still lives at home, doesn't want to be at home. But uh, she unfortunately got caught with the last little, little whip of the tail called entitlement. I'm sure you don't have entitlement here in America, but we have, we have some in Cape Town. We love Justine to bits. She's actually been here to this church in her younger years. But... Uh, Justine's got a bit of entitlement in her, and she's very rigid in her thinking. Um, so when we, we're ministering love to her, she often comes back spiky. You, yeah, I know you don't know that. But so when she does that, we've got to come in that opposite spirit. That's fruit. Opposite spirit is called fruit. Because we minister because she's not serving the Lord as we'd like her to be. So we don't want to, you know, what they say, win the argument, lose the friend. We don't want to go that route. So we want to tell her we're not happy with what's going on. So she came and announced to us the other day, I'm moving in with my boyfriend. So our son just got married and did it kind of the right way. And I said, Justine, what did you say? Moving with my boyfriend. I said, you know, mom and I do not really want that to happen that way. And she said kind of, so what? And at that point, you've got to really find some fruit. <laughs> I'm scarce on fruit at that point, aren't you? <laughs> Scarce, right? Yeah, I got like a lemon. Taste this. <laughs> yeah. So, so even in your own home, you've got to figure out good fruit, right? And this is bearing fruit, right? The other one is how we're reaching out. People in need, you know, the widow, the orphan, the people that are struggling. You know, one thing with me is I, I'm really busy with the work that I do, so I don't have a lot of time. I'm on the preaching team, as Rod mentioned, at our church, but I don't have a lot of time to give to the church because of my, my schedule. But one thing Ingrid and I love doing, whether we've got money or not, we just love being generous. And so I said to Ingrid, you know, what can we do to bear fruit in people's lives that just need it? And so we kind of felt like we would surprise people with money. And we just go and do stuff with them. And so there's a lady in our church who's recently widowed. And, and Ingrid said she had this lady on her heart. So I said, why don't you phone her and take her out for a coffee at our shopping mall? But then tell her it's not about the shopping mall. Tell her, here's a, here's a shopping cart. 
and you can only come back to the coffee shop when this is full. And so Ingrid told her this, and she looked at Ingrid and she said, do you know that today is my birthday? Oh. And we didn't even know that, right? And, like, and we're going like, we're bearing fruit. You know, and she's going, you know, my husband isn't here today, Lord, but through Mary and Ingrid, you are my husband and you are here today. Isn't that cool? Yes. Now, how was that for some fruit? Lovely. And that fruit was good to taste, you know. And we went to another family and I'm the baker and Ingrid's the cook, but Ingrid's a qualified chef, so I cook under deep supervision. So <laughs> when I say I'm the cook, it's like, Ingrid, what do you think? Is this enough? You take the knife and put it in and pull it out. And so we found a family that we knew was going through some struggles, so we, 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 I baked them a, a little tart, a little cakey thing, and I gave it to them, and I think took some money for them, and we said, this is for you to bless your, 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 their son's birthday, whatever. And they're really struggling. And they came back and they said, you know, we'd like to use the money just to bless ourselves, but we can't even paint our house. So we want to know if we can use this money for, like, we're going to use this money for paint. And we went, go for it. I hope it's good paint, you know, good fruit, you know. So in all of this, I'm trying to figure out where's the bad fruit, where's the good fruit. Now, I could also stand and tell you very sad stories of where my fruit is rotten. But what the Holy Spirit is saying is, if my, if you, so let's just review it. I've got six minutes left. I'm doing well, eh? I'm going to land the plane well before. I need, I need an extra donut, okay? Cool. <laughs> when I was in YWAM, we learned, we learned this thing. Do not have three approaches and one landing. You know, people go, they say, and we, as on my final point, but I just wanted to say, and, and, I, and I just got irritated. So we're going to land the plane. So just to summarize, we're saying that number one is we instantly, when we come to Christ, we get a package. And that package is full. And we need to remind ourselves of the beautiful gifts and the inheritance we get. The second thing is we've got to learn to work with that package and we've got to learn to abide. But all the machinery to abide is there. The branch is there with the vine. The fruit can grow. All of that stuff is working. So we don't go to God and say, you know, one day when you bring the, when you bring the branch, when you bring, it's all there already. And that's why he gave this farewell address, right? And then the third thing is, be aware of the fruit you're going to bear. And it's not fruit isn't a huge thing. Fruit is just being kind to someone. Fruit is just looking at the community that you're in and just loving on people with good things. And the final thought I want to bring is just be aware when you step into the space, someone doesn't want you to. The enemy will try and throw you off the scent. And you've got to be very aware in your mind when the enemy says, you think you can bear much fruit. You think God really loves you. Look what you did again. What are, you know, all this kind of stuff that comes to you. Well, go back to your package. Eh? 1 John 1 verse 9 says, eh? if we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy can't condemn you if that's the truth. You see? It's kind of a slate in heaven where all your sins are written, but the minute you confess them, they're already raised. And when the enemy says to, to Jesus, look what Mary did, and, the, and the, Jesus says, well, let's go to the board and read it. It's erased. There's nothing on the board. And the enemy goes, ah, because I forgave Mary all that stuff, so I'm not holding it against him. He's forgiven, you see. So the enemy will try and condemn you, but condemnation, we know, is of the enemy. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. There's a fundamental difference between condemnation and conviction. Cool? Can I land the plane now? Yes. Let's do it. Let's, shall we say some prayers? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray for anybody here right now that just has that sense like I had as a youngster of I'm not loved by the Father. 
I'm struggling to know that I'm accepted, I know, to know that I'm unconditionally loved. I just pray that you would just allow, just soak into their hearts and minds the fact that the day they came to Christ, they got your, the inheritance. They got the package. All that, was, that you wanted for them was given to them. And Lord, for those that are in the midst of right now, in the midst of family, in the midst of business, in the midst of health, in the midst of whatever it might be, that Lord, you promise peace in the midst of. You are the Prince of Peace. And so Lord, I ask that you would help us to invite you now. And I'd like you to do this as we're praying. That area where you need peace right now, where you need to abide and, and snuggle into the Father, just lay that out in the Lord and just tell him what, where that area is that he needs to kind of meet you. And now just welcome him and say, Lord, I receive you, the dimension of your presence into this space. And ask that you now would come and hold me. Come and help me to abide. Help me to find your peace. Would you bring your healing? Would you bring breakthroughs? Would you bring revelation? Bring what I need, Lord to be able to break through to my next level. Lord, we don't want to stay where we are. We want to move to the next level. And thirdly, think of where you need to bear fruit. In your little community, where you are, where God's put you. Who are the people God is asking you right now, tomorrow, Monday, to influence? And think about the fruit that can come from you to them. Kindness, help, assistance, prayer, whatever it might be. And allow the Lord to make you the one who bears much fruit. Because if we all just put one bunch of grapes out there, imagine what we're doing every day if we each do one. And so everybody said, Amen. sit down. So I did.